following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. All right. Hey, well, good morning, IBC family. My name is Pastor Jason. We are so glad that you are here, whether you're here in the room with us or you're joining us online for worship. We're so thankful that you're with us. Pastor Barry and his family are on vacation this week. So just please be praying for them. There'd be a time of rest and connection uh, and fun together. I believe there is a big difference between a vacation and a trip. And what makes that big difference is the presence of a nine-month-old baby. I have a picture of my daughter. This is Emma Ruth. And I know what all of you are thinking right now. And I just want to affirm what you are thinking. That yes, this is the cutest baby you have ever seen in your life. It's okay to acknowledge that. There's nothing wrong. It won't hurt my feelings. That yes, that's the cutest baby you've ever seen. So a few weeks ago, my family and I, we got out of town to go on a trip. Or a vacation, so we thought. And we're about four hours into the car ride when this little cute girl decided to exercise her tiny vocal cords and let us know that she was done. She was just done with the car ride. She was done with the whole trip and she wanted out. And the only thing that would pacify her, the only thing that would calm her down was the most annoying kid song on repeat. We listened to the same song for over an hour in the car. At one point, I turned to my sweet wife and said, I would rather be anywhere in the world right now but this car. (laughs) To which my wife responded, what level of fresh hell have we entered into? It was awful. And I have to admit to you that as we drove in the car, as she kept crying, as we heard the same song over and over and over, I quickly lost my patience. I quickly lost my vacation heart. I quickly started to become angry and frustrated. So I have a question for you. What provokes you to anger? What provokes you to anger? We're in the second week of a sermon series called The Name, where we're looking at how God describes his character, who he is, and how he acts in the world, found in Exodus 34. That Exodus 34 is the most quoted verse in the Bible, by the Bible, about God. And as Barry taught us last week, that we learned that God is compassionate and gracious. That his, that his name is Yahweh. That he has a heart of compassion. And that he acts in grace. And that we can bring our misery and our mess to his mercy. So last week, Barry taught us about compassion and grace. Next week, Craig Pierce is talking to us about abundant love and faithfulness. And today I was given the topic of the wrath of God. So buckle up, right? It'll be fun. No, but but there's something really important that we need to pay attention to when we come to that little phrase that says, God is slow to anger. That, 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 That phrase, slow to anger, describing God appears over a dozen times in the Bible. And it appears in our passage this morning as we open up Jonah chapter four. So if you have a Bible, let's go Jonah chapter four. That's where we'll be spending our time together. As we look at this passage, I think we'll find something that tells us about who God is, about God's character, and it reveals something about our own hearts 
and lives. And so as you turn to Jonah 4, let me just give you a little backstory. And so Jonah is a prophet in Israel. He is called by God to proclaim the truth about who God is and what God wants to do in the world. And so God comes to Jonah, his prophet, with an assignment. And the assignment is to go to Israel's enemy, Assyria, to go preach to the city of Nineveh and call them to turn away from their idols and evil practices and injustice and to turn back to God. And so Jonah does what any good, holy, and righteous prophet would do. He completely ignores God and runs the exact opposite direction of the city of Nineveh. He goes as far west as possible. And as you might know the story, a giant fish swallows Jonah and then later spits him back out on dry ground. So God comes to Jonah a second time and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the the city of Nineveh and preach to them. Preach, calling them to repentance. And this time, Jonah obeys. And he goes to the city and he proclaims who God is calls them to repentance and they turn from their wicked ways. They turn from their evil and sin and they turn back to God. So if you have your Bibles, go Jonah chapter four, verse one, it says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Now, now our English translations, they underplay what is actually happening here. In in the Hebrew, the language is much stronger. It says that, that to Jonah, this was a disaster. A great disaster, and Jonah became angry. That, that according to Jonah, it was a disaster that the city of Nineveh averted a disaster. And so he's angry about this. Let's keep going. Verse two, look what it says. So he, Jonah, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah's angry because God relented from sending calamity on the city of Nineveh. That Jonah's angry because God is slow to become angry at Nineveh's sin. Now, that phrase, slow to anger, is not a phrase that you and I use often enough. That, that it's a weird expression in the Hebrew that, that says it's long of nose or long of nostrils. It's basically what it's saying is that God's face doesn't burn with heat quickly when he gets angry. Maybe some of you remember the Looney Tunes cartoons where one of the characters, when they would get angry, that their face would turn red, they'd have smoke coming out of their ears and noses. And what, what the scripture is saying here is that God's face He doesn't turn red quickly with anger. His face doesn't burn easily with heat, with anger. Another way to translate that phrase is that God is long-suffering towards us. I love how another translation put it, said that his anger is at a distance, but his compassion is near. And what it means is that God is not easily provoked to anger. Barry asked us a great question last week. He said, when you think about God, what words come to your mind? For some of you, maybe words like grace, mercy, kindness, holiness, love. Maybe those words come to mind when you think about God. But maybe for others of you, words like anger, judgmental, curmudgeon come to mind when you think about God. And maybe some of you grew up in a faith tradition that really emphasized God's anger and his judgment, and his disdain, and and it never emphasized his grace 
in compassion and mercy. That for some of you, maybe you grew up thinking about God is that, that if you stepped out of line, that God, God would zap you, that he would get you. Maybe you have a picture of God in the Old Testament is angry and judgmental. But you have a picture of Jesus in the New Testament that he's Mr. Rogers in a red sweater and blue kicks. And what we find throughout the pages of the Bible is that God's character remains the same. He's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. That in the ancient world of Jonah's day, that it was believed that the default setting of the gods was they were by default just angry. And you had to walk walk around them on eggshells and do everything you can to pacify the angry gods. And what we find here in Jonah 4 is that Yahweh is just the opposite. His default setting is not anger. His default setting is slow anger. That God is slow to anger. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it this way. Not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation. His mercy is pent up, ready to gush forth. We tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring loaded, and divine mercy is slow to build. And it's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. That you have to work really hard to make God angry. It's because anger is not a core intrinsic characteristic of who God is. That anger is the fruit of God's holiness, righteousness, and love. That the scriptures describe God as he's a God of love. That God is love. And that from a place of love... God responds in anger at that which seeks to dishonor him, dishonor his image bearers, and dishonor his creation. But for us, if we're honest, we aren't so slow when it comes to anger, are we? When was the last time that you were angry? When was the last time you were angry? Maybe it was you were misunderstood by a colleague at work. Maybe your dog dug a hole in your backyard. Maybe your car door was dinged in a parking lot. Maybe your sister's dog joined your dog in digging a hole in the backyard. Maybe you and your spouse had a disagreement. And I'm just actually describing my week to you. I have no idea how your week is. That was my week, right? When was the last time that you were angry? I bet you don't have to think long and hard about when that was. And the reality is you and I, we can go from zero to 60 in anger so, so quickly. And that we get angry at things that maybe God doesn't get angry about. Then when we look at the gospel stories and we find what, what Jesus, what made Jesus angry, what he got angry about, we find three primary things. First, Jesus got angry at religious hypocrisy. Jesus got angry at uptight religious people who said one thing with their mouth And live their lives completely differently. Jesus got angry at religious hypocrisy. He got angry at the oppression of the marginalized. And he got angry at those who would use, abuse, and exclude those made in the image of God. That's what made Jesus angry. I don't know if that is always what makes us angry. When we think about our own anger... We get angry far too easily. We stay angry longer than we should. 
right? And we get angrier than we should. God is different. Scripture says he is slow to anger. That his anger is not like our anger. And that is good news. And so Jonah's angry that God is slow to anger. Look at verse three. It says this. Now, Lord, Jonah speaking, take my life away. It is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord replied, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals, right? The fact that God's anger is not like Jonah's anger makes Jonah angry that God is slow to anger, angers Jonah. And God's response to sin disappoints Jonah. How do you respond to disappointment? How do you respond to disappointment of others and disappointment of God? What does Jonah do in this passage? Jonah grumbles. Jonah does an angry grumble to God. Jonah grumbles to God about God. And the essential message of an angry grumble is I know better than you. Jonah says, God, I know better than you when it comes to your plans for the world. God, I know better than you when it comes who to love and how to love. God, I know better than you when it comes to who to love and how to love when it comes to enemies. God, I know better than you. And I knew that you'd be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah quotes God back to God. And this is the first clap back in history. And Jonah walks away. He simply walks away from God, not to take a time out, not to catch his breath, not to count to five. He walks away and goes out towards the city, away from the city. And he creates a shelter. Do you know what the difference is between hiking in the woods and camping in the woods? It's having a shelter. Jonah builds a shelter. He grabs a bag of popcorn and he sits down and he's hoping and pleading and praying that God will change his mind and destroy the city. Jonah is settling in for a show. That's how mad and angry he is that God isn't mad and angry at Nineveh's sin. And God tells Jonah, Jonah, you have more concern and compassion for a plant that you did not grow than you have concern and compassion For these people made in my image who turned back towards me. You see, Jonah had God's words, but he didn't have God's heart. Dane Ortland puts it this way. He says, the Christian life 
from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many, many decades fall away. Being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. And this is hard work to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Look at me. Some of you this morning need to hear that God's deepest heart towards you is merciful and gracious. That he is slow to anger. That he loves you with a patient love. That there's nothing you can do. There's no mess you can make that, is, that can outweigh his mercy and grace. That your past sins and your past mistakes do not define you. His patient love defines you. His anger is at a distance, but his compassion is near toward you. And so does your faith need encouragement this morning? Does your soul need refreshment? Then lean into the truth of who our God is and his character displayed towards you, that he is slow to anger and he demonstrates patient love toward you. This is who he is. His anger is not like our anger, but for those who continually and repeatedly reject God's compassion, despise God's love, and mistreat his image bearers. Eventually, God will bring his anger near. Eventually, he'll bring his anger near. That while Jonah chapter four is the ending of Jonah's story, It's not the ending of Nineveh's story. Did you fast forward 150 years? The city of Nineveh unrepents from their repentance. They turn back to their idols. They turn back to their evil ways. They turn back to their practices of injustice. And at some point, God says, enough. God says, I've had enough. Of this. I've had enough of sin. I've had enough of oppression. I've had enough of violence. Enough of Nineveh's sin. And so God brings judgment and justice to the city of Nineveh. The prophet Nahum, writing 150 years after Jonah, says this, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power, that he will not leave the guilty unpunished. That at some point, God's patient love gives way to his just love. And some of you need to hear that there are times when God's patience has limits. And when I say this as lovingly and as pastorally as I can, do not confuse God's patient love for his permissiveness. Do not confuse his patient love towards you for his permissiveness of sin. That sin is not always a big deal to us, but it's a big deal to God. And that God's anger is born out of God's love. That God's anger and discipline are real. And some of us are abusing his patience. Some of us are willfully pursuing things that are not of God. We're living lives of pride and arrogance, content to let others suffer in our wake. Some of us lack integrity and think the ends justify the means at work. 
And we sometimes have this caricature of God that he is quick to anger, that he is, his anger is instantaneous. But in reality, one of the primary ways God displays his anger, his discipline, or his judgment is by allowing us to keep choosing our sin over him. The scriptures say that that God hands us over to our sin and it breaks his heart. He doesn't want us to stay and remain in our sin. He loves us too much to leave us there. And he goes out of his way to repeatedly and patiently love us and woo us back to himself. Look at how the apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter two. He says, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Another way to translate that is long suffering or slowness to anger. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That his kindness displayed toward you and toward me is intended to lead us to wholeness and life and flourishing, the abundant life that Jesus offers for us. That's what his kindness is intended to do in our lives. The reality is that sin wants to destroy all that is good, beautiful, and right in your life and in the world. That sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So here's my point. Don't play with something that wants to kill you. Don't play with something that wants to kill you. He is lovingly and patiently wooing you back to himself, displaying kindness upon kindness, mercy upon mercy, because he loves you, that there is no mess you've made that is too big for his mercy and grace. God's slowness to anger demonstrates his patient love towards us. His anger is not like our anger, but God's slowness to anger does at times demonstrate his just love. So what does Jonah's story tell us about our own lives, about our own hearts? I think it says two things. I think it says something about we have a theological problem and we have a heart problem. The the thing Jonah couldn't wrap his mind around was why God wouldn't immediately judge sin. Jonah couldn't understand why God wouldn't immediately be angry at Nineveh. And I think, I think for many of us in the room, we actually have the opposite problem. We have a hard time understanding how God can be angry if he's loving, right? We love, the, we love the idea that God is loving, but the whole anger piece, we're not so sure about that one, right? Some of us might believe that to be loving is to be tolerant of everything. I love how one scholar put it, a wrathless God does not make him more attractive. It makes him morally indifferent. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to believe in a God who is morally indifferent to injustice and racism. I don't want to believe in a God who is morally indifferent to the abuse of women and children. I don't want to believe in a God who is, who is morally indifferent to corruption and greed and sin in the world. It's good news that God is slow to anger. And it is good news that God is slow to anger. One pastor put it this way, that we need to live in the tension between love and anger. 
that most of us think love and anger are actually incompatible. How can you love somebody and be angry at them? And that just shows how much we still have to learn about love, right? The greater your love for someone, the greater your potential for anger at what is destructive in that person's life. Imagine, imagine you have a friend, maybe it's a roommate, a colleague at work, and you love your friend dearly, but your friend is struggling with an addiction and you deeply love your friend and you desire what is best for her. But you can be angry at the destructive patterns that rob your friend of joy and wholeness in life. That the love of God and the anger of God are not incompatible. God's anger at sin is purposeful, deliberate, and under control. His anger is not like our anger. But the second thing I think it shows us is that maybe we have a heart problem. Right? Maybe we have a heart problem. The essential message of Jonah's heart was Jonah saying, God, I can't live in a world where you love my enemies. God, I can't live in a world where you are slow to anger. And God gently exposes Jonah's heart because lurking in Jonah's heart was pride. Lurking in Jonah's heart was grace for himself, but none for anybody else. Lurking in Jonah's heart was a sense of superiority. Lurking in Jonah's heart was disdain for others. And Jonah's a prophet called by God. He knows God's word. He serves God. He does ministry. And yet this is in his heart. How foolish would we be to think that our heart's not the same? That yes, 3,000 years later, the human heart remains the same in desperate need of God's redeeming and rescuing love. So what's in your heart this morning? I want to end just by asking you two questions. And the questions are this. What do you believe about God's heart this morning toward you? What do you believe about God's heart toward you this morning? Do you believe that he is angry and judgmental? Or do you believe that the fullness of God's heart is compassion and grace and patient love and that his grace is ready to burst forth? What do you believe about God's heart this morning toward you? And the second question is this. Do you believe? Do you believe that at the heart of the Christian story is God rescuing and renewing all that is lost and broken through Jesus. That in Jesus, there's no condemnation for sin. That in Jesus, there's the forgiveness of sin. There is hope and healing and life and the abundance that Jesus offers us. That Jesus bears the just punishment of our sin on the cross. He pays the penalty of your sin and my sin. And this is what we see at the cross, the patient love of God and the just love of God colliding at the cross. So do you believe, have you placed your trust in him today? That he loves you too much for you to remain in your sin and mess. And there's no mess you've made that is too big for his mercy and grace. And so the invitation for some of you today is to believe. Pray. 
Lord, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger and you are abounding in love and faithfulness. And you display your patient love towards us. So Lord, we praise your name. We praise your character. We praise your holiness. Thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us and that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And so, Lord, now in this time, may you do business with us. May we do business with you. May you search us and draw us back to yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as we come to the table, as you grab your elements, the communion, the the bread and the wine symbolizing Christ's death, symbolizing his patient love and his just love for us on the cross. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, broke it saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, new access to God through my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. And the apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I think the only response to our hearts this morning is grateful worship to who God is and his character towards us. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.